You're listening to the Life Center Church Podcast. You know what? Let, let's 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 pray first, and then we'll get to it. Okay, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just open our eyes to see, to see what our part is, to see how much we can get involved. Open our eyes to see our brothers and our sisters who desperately need to see the gospel, hear the gospel. And be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for your anointing both on me and Matt as we come to share this morning. And, and Lord God, may you be glorified. May you be glorified. And we give you all the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in October 2006, a company uh, uh, started an internet it's called LiveLeak. LiveLeak.com. Maybe you've never seen it. That's great. You probably, probably go check it out. But what it does is allow people to upload uh, footage, video footage, to this uh, uh, site uh, that has to do with politics and war and, and, and uh, world events and, and combine them with the power of citizen journalism. So basically, they're basically unedited kinds of videos showing sometimes horrible things that have happened as if people have been there because your phones record everything nowadays, right? Well, the, the problem was because it started off for politics and war and all these things, and there were some gruesome things on this video site, but after a while, it became a place to dump videos uh, that at best were in that gray area of, of the, should they even be shown. Lively doesn't show just show uh, international videos, though. On St. Patrick's Day 2013, uh, two people got in a fight in a Boston subway. It became a heated argument, and a woman gets up and starts brutally punching a guy in the face. And, and, and the other riders in the subway did absolutely nothing. Nothing as this is going on. They just sat in their seats and watched. And as a matter of fact, some of them even recorded with their cell phones this fight as it's going on, and then they posted it online later. You say, Pastor, why are you sharing this? Well, there, there are countless other examples of this sort of thing happening. People getting hurt, uh, sometimes even killed. Uh, uh, everyone around simply stands there and watches. 
Why? Is it because we like to watch? This is exactly, uh, it's actually a, 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 a recognized psychological phenomenon. What is it called? Bystander effect. Bystander effect. In short, people are less likely to help if someone is getting hurt. If there is a large number of people gathered around, they, they, no one wants to step forward and help. They all want to just sit back and watch what's going on. According to the psychological today, this is due to something called pluralistic ignorance. We all tend to look to others for clues to, to define what is happening. An example of this is if we drive by a, a, a car, past a car or an accident, and, and we, we assume that someone else is going to call 911. And we don't. We just keep on going by. We wait for others to tell us what we're going to do. What's interesting, though, is that if, if someone is by themselves, they'll actually, they're actually more likely to help out than if they were in a crowd. Maybe you've seen that. Despite the bystander effect, is the trend has gotten so bad that people who record a violent crime on their phone without calling 911 or trying to help the victim are getting in trouble themselves. Students are getting suspended. Adults are going to jail because they did nothing, which is often the case. The internet is anonymous. That's why people are so bold to post things these days. But the bystander effect isn't anything new. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, this has, has been going on for thousands of years. Not recording video on a cell phone, of course, but obviously, but standing around and doing nothing, but sometimes even mocking those that are in trouble. While other people are getting hurt. This is where we picked up in Obadiah chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives, note that close relatives in Israel, you'll be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. You acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should have, should not have, a excel, exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their dysfunction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such You should not have stood at crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. This is fading in and out, isn't it? Let me go to the end there. Obadiah is one of the shortest books in the Bible. One chapter, 21 verses. That's it. But in, in, in it, Obadiah brings a word from the Lord against the nation of Edom. Edom. Condemning them for just standing around, doing nothing, not getting involved, while Israel was being conquered again and again and again. Well, why is this important? Well, why would God 
condemn Edom for this and not any other nation? What makes Edom different from, let's say, Moab or Assyria? Why is God upset with Edom but not the nations or the other nations as they allowed Israel to be conquered in the first place? To really understand Obadiah and, and God's feelings towards Edom, we need to go back, all the way back to Genesis chapter 25. Starting with verse 23, we learn that Isaac's wife, you remember the story, Rebecca, is pregnant with twins. And it says here in verse 23, the Lord said to her, and the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. The Lord was referring to Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, so he was entitled to his father's inheritance. You remember the story. But Jacob tricked his brother into giving him his birthright. He got a little hungry and said, I'll trade you some good soup for, for your birthright. Right? And you can imagine Esau wasn't happy with this situation. So he, so he held a grudge against his brother. Time passes and Jacob gets married and has 11 sons. He was alone one night when he met a man. You remember this story. This man wrestled with Jacob all night long. And Jacob tells him that he won't let him go until he gets a blessing from him. What he doesn't realize is this is an angel of the Lord. And ultimately he gets that idea. So that's why he says, I need a blessing. At that point, the man reveals himself as the angel and renames Jacob. His name now, from now on, is Israel. Are things starting to click now? Jacob is Israel. Jacob founded the nation of Israel. After his name was, was changed, he had another son, so he had 12 sons that became 12 tribes. Are you with me so far? Okay. But what about Esau? Esau, his grudge towards his brother eventually turned into hate. He passed it on to others. When Esau founded a nation his own, uh, of his own, that hate became a cultural dislike for the children of Israel. When Esau founded the nation, the members of Esau's nation hated Israel because they were always Esau's, uh, they, they have always, it has always been part of Esau's nation. Edom, that's right, Edom was a Jewish nation descended from Abraham. And the bitterness between the two brothers was passed on to Edom. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses asked the king of Edom for, for safe passage through their land while the Israelites were wandering in the desert. The king said no and threatened to attack Israel uh, with the Edomite army if they entered the kingdom. In 1 Samuel 14, Saul fights against Edom. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, David conquered Edom. In 2, uh, in, in 2 Kings 8, Edom revolted against Israel. Isaiah chapter 34 said that Edom was doomed for judgment. Jeremiah chapter 29, 49 said that the Lord will bring calamity to Edom. Ezekiel said that God would lay Edom's town into ruin, utter ruin. Chapter 35 of Ezekiel. Malachi mentions that destruction so does lamentations. Now Obadiah, even history books confirm that the people of Edom were completely wiped out, out, out by the Roman conquest of Jerusalem in 70 AD. 
So what on earth did Edom deserve? Why did they deserve this judgment? Nothing. Edom did absolutely nothing at all. Nothing. And that's the point. Edom just stood by and did nothing when Israel was uh, suffered, when Israel was tormented, when Israel was invaded, when Israel was attacked. Edom, their close relatives, did nothing. In that first verse of, of Edom, uh, chapter 10, verse, verse uh, 10, chapter 1, verse 10, it says, because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel. Note that word, close relative. It, 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 it can mean uh, male siblings, uh, you know, like my, 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 my two, our two sons, Josh and Matt. They're, they're close relatives, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and it can mean also close friends. There are men in this church that you see as, as brothers, and you say, you know, you might even say uh, brothers of another mother, but we're really close. Right? Really close. It can mean that. It can also mean someone uh, who follows the same leader. Like, I'm a brother in Christ. I follow after him. And those are my brothers and sisters in Christ who follow after him. But if you look at this verse in the Hebrew, the word close relative is very, very clear. I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce the word in Hebrew, but it's the exact word in Genesis to describe the relationship between Cain and Abel. God is saying here that Edom and Israel are brothers in the oldest sense possible. They are family. You hear that? They are family. Edom was so concerned by consumed by the hatred that they had against Israel, they forgot that Israel was family. They forgot. Edom's hatred towards the Israelites had grown to the point where they no longer followed God's commandments. I'm not even going to follow your God because I, yeah, I, I don't like you. Why? It's kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. But Tommy got a few generations down the road. They forgot why they hated each other. The same kind of thing happened here. But wait, we don't hate each other, right? I mean, the whole bystander effect doesn't apply to us, does it? Does it? I mentioned it earlier, but do we hate anything? You know, it doesn't have to be that way. If someone was getting hurt or another person could do something about it, but chose not to, that, that, that's not exactly love, is it? And who's our family anyway? Right? Here's the question. Who's our family anyway? There are three, three, three ways you, 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 are, you become family, right? Someone can be considered family in our culture. The first is by blood. You got my blood in you, you're part of my family. And many of us have gone on Ancestry.com and we found out our family goes a long, long way. I would share a lot of blood somewhere, right? Two people are related by blood, their family, might be parents, children, siblings, cousins, to the umpteenth degree cousins. <laughs> they share a common ancestor, right? The second way is through marriage. Through marriage. I have a brother-in-law, he's watching online right now up in Crescent City. Hello, Dan. 
but his family through marriage. I married his sister, and, and uh, even when we were, when she was my fiance, you know, we were started considering each other brothers and sisters. We were we joined our families together, so we understand that, right? Marriage uh, coming soon. We're, 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 we're in it related. The third way is through adoption. Maybe you were adopted as a child just because you're not by, uh, by blood or, or family, by, 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 by marriage. That does not mean that you're not part of the family. You've been adopted, grafted into the family, so you're part of the family. The Bible has several things to say about these definitions of family, but for now, let's return to Obadiah here. When Obadiah traveled to Edom, Israel was hurting. Their, 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 their family in Edom did nothing, absolutely nothing to help them. As we get here, gather here this morning, our entire planet is hurting. We get so secluded here in, in our in the United States of America, and, and we don't see the people on the other side of the tracks. We don't see people on, on the other side of the country. We don't see people on uh, on the other borders or beyond uh, the seas. Our, our, the whole country is the whole nation, whole world is. Hurting. We see in the news every day terrorist acts and, and violence taking place. Civil war in Syria. It's getting pretty dangerous there. We see the arresting aggression towards the Baltic states. We, we, we hear shots fired across the Korean border. And, and, and we wonder what's, what's going to go on. And, and sometimes we don't even think that much. But what can we do about it? What can we do about it? We're not all able to fly to Iran. We're having incredible uh, uh, riots today. Uh, even our missionary who's there is saying that the streets are full, the people are in unrest. Uh, you know, uh, we, we want to protect the Christians that are being persecuted, right? Right? But here's the truth. We're not all missionaries, are we? No. Missionaries have a specific calling to do something very, to do something very special. But we're not all called to be missionaries. For a time I thought I was, but ultimately, no, I'm, I'm not doing what exactly what God has called me to do. So I'm not a missionary, but that's okay. That's okay if you're not a missionary. But we are, though, all called to spread the word of the Lord. To all people, regardless of you're a missionary or a pastor, we're all called. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says this, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice Jesus doesn't say, therefore, those of you who have been called to the ministry, go. He didn't say that. He says, go. He says, go make disciples to every child of God. These verses are called the Great Commission. You know that, right? Which intent was intended for all believers, regardless of your call. All believers. But for those of us who are not called to be missionaries, and those of us who are called but simply haven't started yet, 
we can still help, can't we? We can still get behind something and help. We can help support those missionaries with Speed the Light. Amen? And how many know what Speed the Light is? Let me ask another question. How many don't know what Speed the Light is? All right. That being said, Matt Terry, come and share with us what Speed the Light is. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Matt Terry, the youth director here. And if, if you don't know what Speed the Light is, Speed the Light is a youth-initiated ministry for supporting missionaries. And why I'm up here today is because today in the Assemblies of God is National Speed the Light Day, and uh, our youth are going to be a part of our service in a special way at the end of service today. Uh, we're going to take a special offering. But before I explain what Speed the Light is, just to partner with what Pastor Chuck is saying, is part of Pastor Chuck's message in Obadiah is talking about the sin of doing nothing. And judgment upon those who are expected to do something, but do nothing. And the biblical definition of sin is not only doing those things which are prohibited, but to not do the things that you're supposed to do is also sin for you. You can turn with me this morning to Ezekiel chapter 3. I won't be up here for a long time today, but as they say, we're here for a good time, not a long time, right? So if you would turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, I'm reading verses 18 and 19. And the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and it said this, this is God talking, when I say to a wit wicked person, you will surely die, and if you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order that they might save their life? Well, that wicked person, they will die in their sin. And here's the catch. I will hold you accountable for their blood. That's a sobering thought. Verse 19. But if you do warn the wicked person, Yet they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways. Well, they will still die in their sin. But you will have saved yourself. This is kind of a, a similar verse to what Pastor Chuck was coming from in Obadiah. God gave a word to Ezekiel. And the word was to go to these people and convince them to relent from their wickedness, to turn to God and have faith in God. And if Ezekiel did not do that very thing, they're going to die in their sin. But he's going to hold Ezekiel responsible for it. Think about that. That's a scary thought. And God said to Ezekiel, I'm holding you responsible. When I say to the wicked, you're going to die in your sin, and if you do not warn them, and they, then they die in their sin, I will require their blood at your hand. In other words, what does this mean for us? Does this apply to us? It sure does. When God gives us a word, and he's given us a word, we will be held responsible to speak that word faithfully to the people for whom God intended that word. 
God is saying that if you do not speak his word faithfully to those for whom the word he's given you to give to them, if you do not do that, he's going to hold you responsible for it. The sound this might seem like a dreadful warning, and certainly it can be. But there's also a message of comfort in this warning. If we warn the wicked, then we are not chargeable for their ruin. In fact, we are saved from being held responsible for it. All you have to do is tell the message. That's all you have to do. You're not responsible for outcomes. You don't have to make sure they turn from their wicked ways. You just have to tell them, this is what God told me to tell you. Whatever they do with it is between them and God. And that's all your job is. You don't have to worry about outcomes. You can't change people. And you shouldn't try to. That's God's business. But do what God's told you to do. And he says you will have saved yourself. He won't hold you responsible for what happens next. It's a scary thought. So my message today is simple. God gave Ezekiel a word. Number one. God's given us a word. Number two. And like Ezekiel... We will be held responsible for the word God has given us to share. That's my message in a nutshell this morning. God gave Ezekiel a message to deliver. And the purpose of that message is simple. For the people to repent of their wicked ways, to turn from their sin, and toward faith in God. So that they would not die in their sin. So that they might be saved. And God's given you a message. And the purpose of that message is the exact same. That we would go and tell people the gospel, that they would relent from their wicked ways, that they would repent and turn towards God and express faith in Him, that they might not die in their sin and be saved. It's the same message. This is the mission of God from age to age. And his message is the same. Back then it sounded like this. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's a message of repentance and salvation. John the Baptist came preaching a message or preaching a baptism of repentance. Jesus came teaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is God's message, and this is God's mission. And a person on mission, which we're talking about today, is a missionary. God has a mission. God's been on mission. God is a missionary. God's the great missionary. And he's been on his mission from Genesis until now. Since God has a mission, he's a missionary. And today we're talking about two components of missions. There are two components to missions. Number one, sending. Number two, going. As Pastor Chuck said, not all are called to go. 
But if you're not called to go, guess what you're called to do? Send. God is the great missionary. He sent his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe upon him, they would not perish in their sin, but they would be given eternal life. Same message to Ezekiel, same message through all of Scripture. Jesus is the ultimate missionary. He came, he spoke one of our languages, he ate our human food, he lived among us as the ultimate missionary. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit as a missionary to accomplish, to further his mission. When Jesus was going to leave, the disciples didn't want him to leave. He said, I have to go. It's better for you that I go to my Father. Because if I do not go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. What's the point of the Spirit's coming? What's the point of that? Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. That's not the end. Why? Because you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the entire world. That's the point of being spirit baptized. That's the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit. To either be going or sending or both. But he gives you the spirit so that the moment you receive the spirit, you are now a partner with God in his mission to save the world. The Spirit sends people. The Spirit sent Paul. Going. Jesus went when God sent him. The apostles went out when Jesus sent them two by two. And he filled them with power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to preach the gospel. And he sent them out, and the disciples went. The Spirit came when Jesus had sent him. And Paul went wherever the Spirit led him. And God is still sending today. That's what we're talking about today. God gave a word to Ezekiel. God's given a word to us. And that word is the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. As Pastor Chad talked about the Great Commission, this is the word that is given to us that we are responsible for. We are responsible for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go into all the world and preach the gospel of his kingdom. To repent from dead works and to turn towards faith in God. To be baptized. To baptize all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we have to do this until all nations are ready. Until all nations are ready for the brightness of his coming. Until all nations come into the white, hot glory of Jesus Christ. Until this day comes, and this day is coming, we can neither church, we can neither sleep nor slumber. We cannot be idle. We must work while it is day, the Bible says, because there is night that's coming. And when night comes, no man can work. So we must work while it is day. And when night comes, time will be up. 
And what did you do with your time? You don't have forever. What did you do with your time? Did you redeem your time in these evil days? Or did you do nothing? Did we bury the one talent in the ground? Jesus told a story about a parable about the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is like a master who went away on a long trip, and before he went away on his long trip, he had three servants, and he gave to one servant five talents, and he gave to another servant two talents, and he gave to another servant one talent. And I won't say the whole story, but as you know, the one with five talents, he went out and he doubled his money. And when the master came back to see what he had done, he presented him with ten. And the man, the man was given two talents. When the master came back to find out what he had done, he's like, look, you gave me two, Here, I, here's four. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he went to the man who, who he only gave one talent. What have you done? Well, see, God, I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you don't sow, and you gather where you haven't scattered seed. So I buried it in the ground. And look, the time you gave me, here it is. It's yours. What did Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Wicked, lazy servant. You mean to tell me you knew I was a hard man? You mean to tell me you knew that I gather or I reap where I don't sow? And he does reap where he doesn't sow. You knew that I gather where I didn't scatter seed? And he is going to come and gather where he has not scattered seed. You knew all of this and you did nothing? Like, you did nothing? How can you know all of this and do nothing? You know this about me and do nothing? Wicked and lazy servant. What you have will be taken away from you and given to another, to the one who has five. And maybe God's talking to some of you today. If you've been doing nothing, you could do something. Maybe you don't go and, you know, to the one who's getting five, double it and turn to ten. Maybe some have more, some have been entrusted with more. Maybe some seem to be more talented. But God's given everyone something. And you might not do what others are doing, but you can do something. You can at least give to speed the light. If you're not going to go on the mission field, if you're not going to evangelize to your next door neighbor, if you're not going to bring your family members to church, you can at least give to speed the light. When our time is up, we will be, we will be held responsible for the message we have been given. We have been given so much. The Bible says to whom much is given, much will be required. And we've been given much. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with his gospel, that's a huge responsibility. To be entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're entrusted with that. We are entrusted with that. It's in our hands. He's gone. He's given us his spirit. We are his agents in this world to carry on his mission. It's 
with us, what happens next? We've been entrusted with the gospel, Paul says, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. You know, we're not doing it for outcomes. We're not doing it to please men. As God, as God said in, to Ezekiel, you're not responsible for what happens. But just say what I've told you to say, and you won't be held responsible for it. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul talking here, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. He knows he needs to do this. He doesn't have an option. He can't boast in preaching the gospel because, as he says, he's compelled to do this. He can do no other. All he can do is preach. And then he says, For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is a word of cursing, a word of judgment. Jesus' famous woes to the Pharisees. Paul saying that word, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. What Paul is saying is that he'll be cursed if he doesn't preach the gospel because he's been entrusted with the gospel. And if he doesn't deliver the message, he knows that judgment will come upon him if he's not faithful with the message that God has given him. He understands that he is responsible for the message like Ezekiel was. That's why he says, woe is me if I do not preach. God is looking for those who will partner with him in his mission. He is searching. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? God's still sending. He's still sending today. He's looking to send more. He's still saying this, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Is that your heart today? Here am I, God. I'll go. No one's going, but I'll go. Or if not, I can help someone go. I can't go. I'm too old. I'm too weak. My knees don't work anymore. Whatever. But I can send someone else. God's given us a message, and he has given us a mission. And we will be held responsible for it, like Ezekiel. So our mandate is clear. In order to accomplish the mission given to us, is we must either go or we must send. And that's why Speed the Light exists today. The concept is simple. We give so others can speed the light of the gospel to a world darkness. This is accomplished by providing essential transportation and creative communication, equipment necessary for missionary evangelism. So speed the light does. Through modern transportation, radio, television, print, audio, digital equipment, we provide these things for our missionaries through speed the light so that they can make Jesus known Speed the Light, as I said earlier, is a student-initiated, volunteer, charitable program that provides the much-needed equipment to missionaries across the nation and in over 180 countries around the world. It's 
doing big things. Speed the Light operates with one guiding principle. All assistance, here's the important part. All assistance, meaning all donations that Speed the Light brings in, uh, it must go directly to the purchase of equipment related to evangelism. Evangelism, according to Speed the Light, is defined as propagating the gospel and instructing converts. Speed the Light equipment has not been, nor is presently given for promotion, solicitation, or any administrative fees, administration costs, salaries, nothing like that. It only goes towards evangelism, purely evangelism. If our missionaries are going to get to those who do not yet know Jesus, it will be because of things like Speed the Light. Every missionary in the assemblies of God will at some point fly, drive, float, whatever, to get to where they need to go. And these vehicles are provided to them by our churches and by our youth students through Speed the Light. Airplanes, cars, vans, motorcycles, bicycles, trucks, buses, boats, even horses, Camels, donkeys, wheelbarrows have all been bought through Speed the Light. If it has wheels or if it has hooves, it can carry a missionary to where he needs to go. And some of these places aren't reachable by car, not reachable by plane, only through boat, literally only by camel. And this is what Speed the Light provides. Simply put, we give so our missionaries can travel faster, preach clearer, and be heard louder in order for all to know Jesus. That's the bottom line. We've been entrusted with the gospel, so we must be responsible for the gospel. Because we will be held responsible for what we did with it. Doing nothing, as Pastor Chuck said, what happens when you do nothing? So with that said, at this time we're going to take our special offering. And uh, our youth students are going to come up and they're going to give. They have some money prepared. And the hope is that when the students give, because this is a student-led, student-initiated program, that you would be inspired by their heart for missions. They're saying, here I am, Lord, use me. And I hope that you would see their example and you would give something as well this morning to help our missionaries take the gospel farther, louder, faster, until all know the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. For more information on Life Center Church and our ministries, visit lifecenterchurch.com.